Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. I want to speak this morning on uh, the subject of finance and giving and money. And <clears throat> let me start with this, a statement that may surprise you or even shock you a little bit. Uh, and this is a quotation from a man called Dr. Howard Dayton. Quote, Jesus talked much about money. Sixteen of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses, that's 288 verses, by the way, in all, deal with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. End quote. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Dr. Larry Burkett, who wrote a number of outstanding books on how to handle money and debt and finance, uh, their worth, their weight in gold, uh, he compiled a book listing all that's in the book is the verses in the Bible that deal with money. The book is 280 pages long. Uh, The fact is that our use of money is about the most reliable external indicator of where our heart is. That's an ouch, isn't it? Uh, So you're asking me, where would this guy get such an outrageous idea from? Well, I got it from a man who said this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's, Jesus has said that you didn't know. Now, people can give for all sorts of different reasons. You can give to solve your conscience or make yourself look good. You can give a couple dollars to, you know, the Children's Hospital of London or something when you're going out, the checking out at the grocery store. Uh, you can, uh, because you're too embarrassed to say no or whatever, you can give in church out of legalistic reasons. You can give for all sorts of reasons, but real, true biblical giving can only come out of an understanding of the kingdom of God. That's what you need to have if you're going to be set free to give in a right way and a joyful way. Jesus laid out our motivation for giving in a statement that he made in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And the statement is this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What were the things he was talking about? He was talking about money, finance, and possessions. Um, Why do I know that? Because the whole context leading up to this statement of Jesus is his teaching on money. He's told his disciples not to lay up treasures on earth. He's told them you can't serve God and money. Money is an idol that will displace God. He's urged them to stop worrying about how they'll have their needs met. He's talking about how people in the world out there that don't know God run this way and that all the time trying to get more money and wear themselves out worrying about it and never feel they have enough. And 
at the end of all of this, he makes this statement, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. If you have the kingdom of God in mind, if your desire is to serve the kingdom of God, if your desire is to serve Jesus, then you don't have to worry about these things because they'll all fall into place. So the idea is that if we give ourselves to God, he'll take care of the rest. And of course, nobody more completely modeled this way of life than Jesus himself. So let me make a few points uh, out of this statement that Jesus made, which is seek first God's kingdom, and then your financial problems will all come into perspective and God will look after you. Number one, if you don't have an understanding of the purposes of God on earth, that's his kingdom, and how you fit into the purposes of God and what God's plan is for your life, you'll never have a motivation for giving. Without giving, you'll never be able to access God's provision. So the key to moving into the provision of God for all you need is seeing his kingdom call on your life. If you put his kingdom first, all the rest will be added to you. Your bank account will never have a, a problem if you put God first. But if you don't see that God has a purpose for your life, if you don't see that his, he comes to you as a king commanding you to put your priorities at his disposal, you'll never understand God's claim on your money. And you'll never be a happy giver. It'll always be grudging. It'll always be like what you give to the children's hospital at the checkout counter at Zayers. That's what it'll be. Now, so that's my first point. If you don't have an understanding of the purposes of God on this earth and for your life, you'll never, never have motivation for giving. The second point I'd like to make is this. All of God's purposes on earth are based on the concept of giving. God is a giver. God is a giver. God gave us everything. He created this world. All the material wealth, all the means we have to make money was created by God. We, the Bible tells us that we abused his trust. We tried to take advantage of what he'd given us and use it for ourselves. And, and that didn't work too well for us because the Bible tells a story of how we lost an incredible state of wealth and we went into a place of poverty as a result of that. But God is merciful and he sent his son Jesus into this world to restore us to relationship with him. And part of the restoration that God does in Jesus is in the area of money. And that's why we need to talk about money in church just as much as Jesus talked about money. We get embarrassed. We don't want to talk about it. Maybe we have a guilty conscience. Maybe we just don't know how to handle it. We think it's kind of unspiritual. Well, we need to, you know, take that all out of the darkness, bring it into the light, and say, well, Lord, everything I have belongs to you, and I want you to take over control of my bank account. How many people believe that God could do a better job of controlling your bank account than you can? Gentlemen, ask your wife for her opinion on the matter. <laughs> so, nobody modeled giving. God is a giver. 
Nobody modeled giving more effectively than Jesus. Jesus spent his whole life doing nothing but giving. And now he calls us to follow in his footsteps. So a Christian is a person who is always looking to give of their time, of their resources, uh, or, or whatever. The Christian is not worrying all the time about who's going to get back to him because they've already found, we've already found our own source of strength and relationship in the Lord. God is a wonderful giver. The problem with, <clears throat> with most marriages that fall into trouble today is that people walk into marriage with uh, straws in their mouth and they stick their straw into their partner's glass and they drink it dry. And when both glasses are dry, they walk out. But God has a different purpose for us. Whether it's in marriage or in finance, God is continually wanting to fill our cup. And instead of, instead of sucking, sticking our straw into somebody else's cup, we become conduits of life. The, the, the provision that God is given to, giving to us, whether it's emotionally, let's say in our marriage, or whether it's um, financially, uh, God wants that provision to flow through us. And the more we give away, the more we receive. And no, that would solve most marriage problems right there. If all we were doing, both husband and wife were giving to one another. <clears throat> but the amazing thing is, this, walks, this works in the realm of money as well. The more you give, the more you receive. So, uh, it's interesting to note that when we read the Old Testament, and uh, I won't go into the detail of it, but I could give you a whole list of, of inc- incidents of instances in the Old Testament, every time there was a spiritual revival, it was accompanied by an increase of giving and tithing. Every time. Why is that? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because money is the most reliable external indicator of where your heart is and where your walk with God is. So, if your life... My life is, is not submitted. I'm in dangerous ground here, but after all these years, I've just learned to fire first and worry about the consequences later. <laughs> uh, besides which, I can always leave and, uh, <clears throat> and Ron will have to clean the mess up. <laughs> but let me fire. If your life or my life is not submitted to God in the area of finance, let me suggest to you, your life is probably not submitted to God in other areas either. Just think about it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let's come to this issue of tithing. And let me say, first of all, that a different set of mathematics applies in the kingdom of God than applies in the world. In the kingdom of God, 100 minus 10 equals something more than 100. In the kingdom of God, 100 minus 0 equals something less than 100. That's what tithing is all about. Now, Why did God establish the tithe? The tithe in the Bible is 10% of your income. So if you give 10%, 
You're not left with 90. You're left with more than you started with because God will give back to you more than you gave. If you don't give, your income will drop because you won't have the blessing of God in your finances. Why did God establish this tithe anyway? Well, the most important reason for the tithe, the second reason for the tithe is simply that those who uh, work in the, in the service of God full-time. There are some people that need to be. I mean, uh, you know, for all that there are wonderful volunteers in this church, somebody or some people have to be paid. I always call it a preacher is somebody who's paid not to work, but that doesn't sound quite right. I spent a lifetime doing it. It seems to work for me. Anyway, uh, I could have done something else. Uh, I could, and where, where I was headed when God got a hold of my life was more likely law school. And let me give you a hint. You'll make more money being a lawyer. than if There's more money in law than there is in grace. We could put it that way. I, I know that because my older brother's a lawyer. He made a lot more money than I ever did. Well, I could have done that, but God called me not to. And uh, so because I decided not to do that, but to go and plant churches and preach and do everything I, that, that we do now uh, in various countries... Uh, somebody has to pay the bill. So that's the, one of the purposes of the tithe is so that people like me can be supported because somebody has to do this. You can't, uh, you know, Ron couldn't lead this church and do everything that he was doing if he was out working in a factory or in a profession or a trade or whatever. He just, it's not physically possible. So it's, there's a practicality attached to tithing right? There's a practicality attached to it so that some people can be paid because the kingdom of God won't move ahead uh, unless that happens. Like everything else, it requires money. And I don't know why it is that we have such a problem with this issue in church. Really. Uh, You can't run a business without money. Any of you here run a business You can't run a business unless people pay you and enable you to do it. You provide a service, they're happy, the world goes round. This church is the same. And we need money to do the things that God has called us to do. Very rarely in my life have I ever met a rich preacher. In fact, I don't know if I've ever met a rich preacher. I went, went across the border one time... And the, the border guard said, well, uh, you know, our American friends, their border guards can be a little surly. And, it, you know, I explained to him what I was and where I was going. And, and he's, the first question he said was, well, do you have more than $10,000 cash on you? And I thought, what do you think I am, a faith preacher? <laughs> anyway, it's a private joke, but... Uh, <laughs> I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, when you go there, you bringing all the tithes and offerings back with you. It was as if I was bankrupting the church I was going to speak at. I said, no, sir, I'm not. But we have to have money for church to work. And this building didn't come free. The renovations didn't come free. And uh, planning a church in Exeter doesn't come free. And planning a church in Clinton doesn't come free. How many people know there's a lot of people in Exeter and Clinton and London and southwestern Ontario that need to know Jesus 
and be set free from their sins and their bondage and their alcoholism and drug addiction and pornography and all the other marriage breakdown and all that. It costs money to reach them. That's why we give out of the love of God. The same reason we, we give to this uh, human trafficking uh, program because we are seized with compassion. But that program requires money to operate to set people free. So this is why I don't have any problem talking about money in church. But there's a more important reason that God established the tithe than, than simply making churches and ministries operate and run and the kingdom move ahead. There's actually an even more important reason for that. He established the tithe to enable us to acknowledge that he is actually the rightful owner of every single penny that we have. Every asset that we have, God owns it. You, did not, you do not have the capacity to create wealth without God. God created this world, this universe, all the minerals, all the uh, wisdom, all the technology ultimately comes from God. He owns everything. And when you die, it all goes back to him. He owns everything that you have and that I have. And as Christians, we need to acknowledge that. And so we get this incredible deal. Jacob was the first one who discovered it. In Genesis 28, he said to God, Of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. Man, what a deal. You get $100,000 given to you. And all you have to do uh, to pay the guy that gave you $100,000 is give him back ten. Hello, somebody. <laughs> that If somebody walked up to you and said, I will give you a hundred, th- I will give you, let's up the stakes, I will give you a million dollars right now on one condition. What's the condition? That you give me back a hundred thousand. Uh, I'll sign up. <laughs> yes, sir. See, God owns everything that we have, but the tithe is an acknowledgement on our part that the 100% belongs to Him. And so he says, give me the first 10%. We taught our kids growing up, if they had a paper route, the first 10 cents in every dollar belongs to God. They still live like that. Our daughter Sarah was in a very difficult, dark season of her life, uh, walking uh, far away from God, and God arrested her. It was an absolute miraculous story. I don't have the time to tell you this morning. It was an incredible story of how God did it uh, that led a certain preacher to one, the one coffee shop in Toronto that she had to be, happened to be working in that day. But she came back to the Lord. And, uh, in that, and she immediately started tithing again. She was working, you know, all of our kids, I said, go to medical school, go to law school, become an engineer, become a doctor. Uh, uh, no, they all studied English, art, and history. Oh, <laughs> sheesh. So Sarah had a degree from the Ontario College of Art in basket weaving, pottery making, and photography. <laughs> she at least could make a living as a wedding photographer, but she couldn't stand the stress of doing it. So she wound up, of course, being a barista like several of our other children. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, here she is, 
uh, living in Toronto on very little income and tithing. And so then the church decided, the C3 church in Toronto, they decided that they were going to open up a homeless shelter. But they needed, what did they need to do it? Money. And so they took up a special offering. This is above the tithe. Sarah is tithing, living in an apartment on her own at Toronto Prices, working in a coffee shop, tithing, and the offering comes from the homeless shel- for the homeless shelter. Now, we didn't know about this. She looked at what was in her bank account. wasn't very much. She gave, she gave the lot. She emptied her bank account. And uh, her attitude was, I, I have to be able to give because God has given so much to me. I don't know what, where, you know, she had no money for groceries. She had no money for nothing. She had no money, literally. And at the end of the service, a young lady that she'd met walked up to her and said, Sarah, it was my birthday yesterday, and my grandma gave me something, and I feel God spoke to me in the service that it's for you. And she gave her a $100 bill. And Sarah never looked back from that time. Matter of fact, I was preaching this in the United States and telling Sarah's story, and uh, there was a young man, unbeknownst to me, in the congregation that had given his life to Jesus Christ fairly recently. And th- that morning, for the first, and he, wa- he was a factory worker, not a lot of money, uh, the young family. And that morning, for the first time in his life, he made put money in the offering plate. It was a big decision for him. It was, I think, fifty dollars. That was a lot of money for him, and it was a step of faith. And as he was going out, and, then, and then, then I got up to preach, and I'm telling this story, and he was kind of encouraged by that story uh, because of the step of faith he'd just taken. But as he was going out the door of the church that morning, uh, an older man in the congregation caught him and said, Anthony, uh, can you just hold on for a minute? And he said to him, Anthony, I just felt God spoken to me to give you this, and he handed him $100. And Anthony ran back into the church and started shouting, it's happened to me, it's happened to me, it's happened to me. He'll never forget that the rest of his life. See, God's interested in our finances. And he has given us everything. And so to give back the first 10% is a declaration and acknowledgement that everything belongs to him. Your, Your money does not belong to you. If you're sitting here closed-handed this morning and thinking that I've worked hard for my money and it all belongs to me and I'm not going to give except grudgingly or a few dollars here and there to to church or to any, 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 any other person in need or any other worthy cause of the human trafficking situation or whatever, if that's your attitude, it stinks. This is not... Is this a seeker-sensitive church? Well, it isn't anymore. (laughs) You know, you can, you can, don't take it out on Ron, you know, take it out on me. But really, that's a wrong attitude. But I want to tell you this. This is the good news. A biblical revelation of tithing will change your life. Now, let me just say one thing, and look at my watch here, which doesn't mean too much, but anyway. <laughs> uh, 
I have to, for those of you that have been around church for a while, I have to address a misconception that you may have come across. And that is, the tithing has to do with the law of Moses. And because we don't bring bulls to church, thank God, and sacrifice them on Sunday morning, it would make a a mess on this beautiful platform. Um, Because we don't have to do that kind of thing anymore, then tithing was also a part of that. And that is something that we don't need to do anymore. But that is not true, because the tithe didn't originate in the Mosaic law at all. Now, this is a little bit of deeper Bible teaching, and uh, you can kind of tune out the details if you want, but I want to make a point at the end of it. The tithe is originated way back in the 14th chapter of Genesis in an encounter between a mysterious figure called Melchizedek. You know, biblical names are coming back today, aren't they? Have you ever noticed that? But nobody yet has been called Melchizedek. Not that I found. Or Ebenezer. (coughs) Who knows? There's... Maybe somebody here has got Melchizedek in mind for a baby. Well, please don't, don't do it to that poor kid. Anyway, Melchizedek meets Abraham. Now, the one thing that's important biblically about Abraham is, according to Romans chapter 4, he's the father of faith. Abraham is the man of faith, and he is the father of all nations of the world that will put their trust in God, including you and me. So that's Abraham. He's not to do with the law. He's to do with faith. That's Abraham. Now, Melchizedek is described in the seventh chapter of Hebrews as, uh, it's, it's in here somewhere. He's described, I'm going to have to wing it if I can't find it in my notes. He's described as the king of righteousness, the king of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God. Now, I'll tell you who Melchizedek is. Abraham had this encounter with three angels one day on their way to destroy Sodom. And one of the angels is identified as Yahweh, as God. Now, God, the Father, cannot appear in human form. Neither can the Holy Spirit. But Jesus can. Because Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, came into this world at Bethlehem as a baby. But Jesus also appeared on a number of occasions, a very limited number of occasions in the Old Testament, one of which was he appeared to Abraham on the road to Sodom because he was Yahweh. The other two were angels. And Melchizedek, who is described explicitly as the king of righteousness, as king of peace, without father and mother genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, that's the son of God. So the tithe originates with Abraham, the father of faith, presenting his tithe to Jesus Christ, who appears miraculously hundreds of years before he was born into this world at Bethlehem. And so here's the implication of this. And this is the exciting part. The tithe is linked with the power of endless life. Because Melchizedek is without beginning of days or end of days. When in the Old Testament the tithe was presented to the priests, to to the Levites, they would present it to the priests who would present it to God. Ultimately, the tithe is offered back to God. The origination of the tithe was when Abraham took his money and he presented it 
to a miraculous appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you present your tithe to God, it may go through the deacons or the board members of Vital Point Church who are accountable to the Canadian government by law and everything's handled properly. It goes through those channels, but that's really not who you're giving your tithe to. You are giving your tithe to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you present your tithe, you are taking your possessions, your assets, your GICs, your uh, stock market investments, your housing equity, everything, and you are plugging that into the power of endless life. Do you think that might be do some good for your finances? Now, there's a place for proper management of finances. I'm not saying that you just give money to God and God's going to shower money back at you. Nor am I saying, like some faith preachers say, that, you know, if you give, really it's just a manipulation so God will give more back to you. You know, you give to honor the Lord. You give in marriage because you love your husband or you love your wife, not just to get back, not to be manipulative. You give your money as an act of love to God. But God is no man's and no woman's debtor. And I can tell you this morning from the experience, not only of my daughter Sarah or others of our kids, but of our experience, my personal experience of 50 years of tithing, I began to tithe before I even had a totally clear understanding of the gospel as a young man. And I saw miracles of financial provision before I saw any other kind of miracles in my life. I never hear people who are tithers complaining about their money. The people in church who complain about money and finances are the people who aren't tithing in the first place. A hundred... Minus 10 equals more than 100. 100 minus 0 equals less than 100. Do you want to see God bring material blessing on your house? Then obey his word. Handle your finances God's way. I haven't regretted it. And I challenge you this morning, if you haven't tithed and you start tithing, you can come to me and complain later But I'll tell you something, you won't be coming to me to complain. You'll be coming to me saying thank you for the advice you gave. Uh, Now, I just want to close by saying money can be a sensitive matter. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. Families get destroyed over wrangles over money. Friendships get destroyed. All these things. Can we not bring it into the light of the kingdom of God and instead let money be something redemptive in our lives? Can we not become givers who give to one another and this becomes a community of the overflow of the love and blessing of God, not only for ourselves as a church, but for the communities in which we live? Think about it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Vital Point community. I thank you for uh, the fact that I don't have to stand up here and 
preach on this topic because the church is in a lack of money, because the church is not in a lack of money, it's in a surplus of money. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm standing here preaching, Father, because I want these people to be blessed and prospered so that they can give even more and be a people of generosity, which was modeled by your Son, who came into this world with all the wealth of heaven behind him and gave it all away in order to go to that cross to suffer and die for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice. You led the way in giving. And we ask for your grace and strength and powering of the Holy Spirit and vision so that we can follow you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. David, thank you for um, speaking truth into this area of our lives. And um, thank you for the mess that you've created for me. I really appreciate it. Um, no, I, I, one of the thoughts that we've been talking about leading up to today is we recognize that this is a very difficult conversation for some. And David mentioned that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave today asking God to give you one nugget of truth that he shared. Just one thing. I think sometimes we, we look at areas of our lives and we think we've got to fix everything about everything that's related to that thing. And there's multiple levels and layers and we're like so overwhelmed. Here's what I want you to do is just simply pray and ask God to show you that one thing that was communicated today through David that maybe God's trying to teach you. Desiree and I have been tithing uh, for a long time now, and, and I can't tell you how we have seen God's provision over and over and over again as we've stepped in faith to do what we've been called to do, but in the midst of it, learning what does it mean to honor God with the resources that we have and to see his blessing and his strength. And um, this, this thought, David, I don't know if this is even fair to say to people, but um, if it's wrong, you can go to him now. Um, but I almost dare you, I almost dare you to try this for a couple months, even three months, and then begin to list the blessings that you see in your life of what God's been doing as you open up your hands and say, God, I don't know about this, but I'm going to step into this. I'm going to do this. And uh, I hope that you'll find some freedom in this, and I believe that God will give some clarity for us. Like David said uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I made reference to tithing and, and the heart, uh, our treasure and everything, and someone came to me afterwards, like all, all concerned that, um, you know, is the church in trouble financially? And, and we're not. We're just not. God has been blessing, and we are very thankful for God's provision. So these messages are not for the purpose of, oh, we're in trouble. No, it's actually so that you understand that we together collectively can sense and know the heart of God. And as we do this, as David said, it always leads to some form of revival. And I think that that's really powerful for us as a church. So pray and ask God, what is the one thing that he wants for you? And, um, I think that that's an important thing to take away. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be done for today. Father, thank you for these truths that have been brought to, uh, brought forward for us today through David's message. And 
God, there's a lot of information and a lot of truth that has been spoken in this message. And, and sometimes it can be so overwhelming and just so much truth that we try to take it all in and absorb it all. But we're going to trust, God, that by your spirit, you are going to bring to light the things that you're trying to teach us. Areas of our life, this area of our life that every single one of us deal with. Whether we have a lot or little, we recognize that this is a pull. This is a tension within us. God, I pray for the conversations that might go from here, that whether it's within the context of family or even individuals that are here this morning, that, God, you would uh, create the, the context, even, even within our connect groups this week that we'll be talking about this topic, that, God, you would bring some depth and clarity as we as a community step into these truths. So, God, I pray for us as we leave here today, as we go into our week, that we would make sure that our... Uh, affection is towards you, that we would not be drawn away from the things that distract us from you, that we would be um, understanding the power in the pull that you have for us as we demonstrate our love for you, as we seek you in all things. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk about communion. Why communion? So see you next week.